Amen. Good morning. Man, that's a great way to start, start a day, just in worship uh, and praising our King that way. Uh, just what a gift that is. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning, and continuing in our, our Advent series. And, and as we get started, I just want to encourage you. This is just such uh, a great time of year uh, to recenter our hearts on Christ. So our, our prayer is that our hearts would be centered on our Savior, on our King, all year long. And, and really the practices, the way we pursue that, uh, that is, doesn't change from, from season to season or month to month. Uh, but those things are, are constant that we pursue. But this is a unique time of year to help us refocus our hearts on the Lord. Even before we got started this morning, that was one of the things that, that the worship team was talking about in the back and kind of praying for you, praying for one another, that this time would be a unique space for us to set our hearts on Jesus Christ together. And Christmas allows us to do that. And so as you're turning to John chapter 1, where we're going to be this morning, I just want to offer uh, some encouragement to you. I want to speak to, to the parents, the grandparents in this room. Uh, we talked about this some last week, but one of the special things of Advent season is we align kind of our, our teaching series with the FDP, the Family Discipleship Plan. And so the things that, that we're going to be talking about this morning and looking at from Scripture, uh, you'll be able to take home. They're actually being taught to your kids this morning in, in, their, in their small group or your students in their small group. And as they're learning about these truths together, uh, it creates a really simple opportunity if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent, caregiver, for you to be able to talk about these truths at home. But sometimes we still wrestle through the how. So I, just before we dump into the text this morning, I just want to give you a few just practical thoughts on how do you have these conversations at home? What are some things that you can do that would help you as a parent or grandparent? So here's just a few really quick. And they all start with the letter P because I'm a Baptist preacher. And so that just makes it really simple, okay? So the first one is this, moms and dads, pray. Pray. If you haven't already, pray and ask that the Lord would give you a heart and a burden for your kids this season, for your grandkids this season. That in the busyness of all the other things going on, that, that your heart, your attention would be focused on how do I help talk to them about Jesus? God loves to answer that prayer. Ask that God would do that in your heart, in your mind. Secondly, plan. Plan. You need a plan. You need a strategy. Uh, we, we don't go on vacation without a plan, right? You put a plan together. For a year and a budget, you put a plan together. For your kid's education, you don't send them to a school that doesn't have a plan. We, we want to have a plan. Well, when it comes to spiritual formation, family discipleship, you need a plan. When are we going to talk about these things? What are we going to talk about? And the FDP is just a great, simple plan to help you. One truth per week, one verse per week, a family devotion. For those of you with younger kids, those of you with middle school, high schoolers, there's a workout, which is kind of like a devotion for you and for your son or daughter to be able to use. Have a plan. Have a strategy. What are we going to do? What days are we going to talk about this? How are we going to create a space? Uh, one of the things that, that we do in our family is Saturday morning is our time for kind of family worship. 
and we gather around the breakfast table and usually waffles, pancakes, and some sort of delicious meat is involved. And that's just kind of a rhythm for us. It's very rare we do anything else on Saturday morning because we're going to come together, we're going to eat and have a good time as a family, but then we're going to talk about the Word. And hopefully we'll do it throughout the week as well, but that's an anchor point for us uh, that we get to have together. A third thing I would encourage you to do is prepare. Prepare. I'm speaking to all the parents in the room, but I'll, I'll just speak to the dads specifically for a second because I, I am one. Here's what I've found to be true for me. If I will take 20 or 30 minutes at the beginning of the week, dads, and I will pull out that truth, pull out that verse, read through those ideas, and I will ask God to do those things in my heart, I am much more aware of the moments that happen throughout the week that I can talk to my kids about Jesus. When I prepare me first, I'm normally more ready to be able to serve others. And that's true for us as dads, it's true grandparents, moms. If you will take some time, even today, this afternoon, sit down before the Lord, get out your Bible, look back through these truths, pray that God would do these things in you, you will be more aware on Monday or Tuesday afternoon when something goes wrong at the house and, and that idea that was in the message or in the truth comes out in that verse and you'll be able to talk to your son or daughter, prepare your heart. And then the last one I would just encourage you to do is prioritize. Prioritize. Make Jesus the priority of your day. Make Jesus the priority of your week. And then during this time of Advent, make Jesus the priority of this month. Set time aside to put Jesus first. And so those are just four really simple ways, that practices that I think will help you in the season. Here's the last thing I just encourage you to do, is just try. And if you mess up or fail or miss a week or miss it on a day, it's okay. Just keep trying. And as a parent, grandparent, you're going to blow it. Sometimes you're going to sin against your kids. Ask for forgiveness and keep trying. The Christian life is just that constant repentance, constant pursuit. Keep leaning in. So with no further ado, just want to encourage you as we go through our text this morning, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, whatever age they are, think not only what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart this morning, how could these truths you take back to your home, to your family, and talk to them with your kids? So we're going to be doing that this morning. We're also going to be taking the Lord's Supper this morning. So if you've not gotten the elements before we do that, I encourage you to do that as well. So let's go ahead and just dive straight into the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to start in verse 1 together. We're continuing on in this series, Jesus Is. So last week we talked about how Jesus is the Christ. This is the second part of the series this morning, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's go to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Go to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. 
This morning, we get the privilege of talking about Jesus and focusing on him again. Uh, yesterday, I got to experience something pretty cool. We had some friends in our church who uh, gave myself and two of my sons, Jack and Camden, some tickets to go to the ETSU football game. We got to go with them and hang out. And for any of you who are ETSU fans, they had an epic win last night, like last second, come from behind, you know, kind of crazy moment win. And for my boys, it was a really, really neat thing. And here's why it was neat. Like, they, they've watched football on TV with me. They, they love watching football. They play football out in the yard. They play Madden video games. Like, they know football. They get football. They love football. But they'd never been to a football game before. And so to be in the stadium and to see this come from behind win and to be a part of that moment where everybody's, like, rushing the field, you know, because they're in the playoffs and they've won and moved on, it was just blowing their minds. They're sitting there screaming, not knowing what to do in this moment. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our, our text this morning, I think it's really important to understand the context of, of what the Apostle John is talking about here. God hasn't changed. All throughout the Old Testament, God is the same God as the New Testament. His purposes, His plan, His character, His goodness... His work, the story of redemption that is in the Old Testament, it's the same in the New Testament. It is the same story, same God. There's, there's not a change. There's not a difference in His character. There's not a difference in His purpose. It's not plan A in the Old Testament and plan B in the New Testament. No, same God, same purpose. But there is something uniquely different that happens in the New Testament that the Apostle John wants us to see. That in this holy moment before, in the Old Testament, God spoke through His words and through his actions. But in the New Testament, and what we see in this passage this morning, is now in this holy moment, God is not just speaking through his words or his actions. God is speaking in person. God is speaking through his son. My boys, they, they know all about football. They've seen games, they understand it, but it's different when you're there in person. The story has changed in John, and we see that God has come in person, which leads us to our big truth this morning. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is not just God speaking anymore, God acting anymore, but Jesus is God Himself, the Word of God coming in a person, coming in not just human form, but in human form as one of us. Jesus is the Word. I want us to look again. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is fully God. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But Jesus, who's not just the Son of God, He is actually God. God in three persons. God in Trinitarian form. One God, three persons. Jesus, fully God, has come representing God to mankind. He is God in the flesh. We see that in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the Word. So for us this morning, that raises a really important question, which is this. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Word? What does that mean practically? What, what implications does that have for us? Why is that such an important thing? Why is John 
from the very, this is so important, he could have written anything at the beginning of his gospel, but the very first words he writes is, in the beginning was the word. When an author chooses to start somewhere, that shows important significance. He doesn't want us to miss the fact that Jesus is the word of God, fully present among us. So why is that important? And so what I want us to do is we're just going to walk through this passage and kind of pull out some of the big ideas, some of the realities of what it means for Jesus to be the word. And I, I just want to kind of own it for a minute. I've been really excited to get to preach this passage. There's so much depth and goodness in these words and they're so deep and so good I don't understand them all so I'm going to do the best I can to try to hold out some of these beautiful realities that we see from God's word and in the same time I'm just going to own with you we need God's help to understand these things these these riches and these depths are too much for our human minds apart from the help of the Holy Spirit so I just want to pray again for you. Would you pray as well and ask the Lord would help us to understand his word this morning? Father God, we just come to you humbly saying thank you for sending Jesus, the word in flesh, to save us. As we talk about what it means for Jesus to be the word, Holy Spirit, help us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and receive these truths this morning and please change it i pray even right now for myself and my friends in this room that you give us tender hearts not hard hearts hearts that can receive this word that could change us and we pray that it would and it's the name of jesus we pray amen so what does it mean for jesus to be the word first big idea is this the word has always been the word has always been so the first reality means, and is this, it's that Jesus is the eternal word. This means that Jesus is the eternal word. He has always existed. He has always been. Again, if you have your Bible open, look in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Not in the beginning the word became, but in the beginning was the word. That when time started and when this world was created, the word was already there. He was in the beginning with God, as we keep going. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This means that Jesus has always been. Jesus has always existed. One of the lies that, that our culture tells us, and that sometimes we hear when you're in school or academy, university, whatever that is, is that Jesus was just an influential historical figure. That he existed in history, but he was just there for a certain amount of time, and that he was influential and we should follow his teachings, but he's just a historical figure. But what John wants us to know this morning, this is so important, is that Jesus is not just a historical figure. Jesus is the word eternal. That means Jesus has always been, and Jesus always will be. Amen? He has always existed. He sits outside of time. And we can't even understand that because we are bound by time. We are limited by time. We have a short amount of time on this earth. Some of you have already looked at your watch to say, how long is this message going to be? Like we feel the weight of time. Time is all around us. But Jesus sits outside of time. He is beyond time. But this is the good news of the gospel. He not only sits outside of time, but Jesus enters into time 
and into space, into our reality, to be the Word, to be God in human form with us. During his time on earth, Jesus perfectly lived his 33 years of life for his Father's glory, with a purpose, and in his Father's presence. So when we're talking about the Word, we're not just talking about a historical figure. We're talking about the God who is and the God who has always been. So let me just give you a couple points of application. What what do we do with that personally? First is this. We need to be a people who ask God to teach us to number our days. Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us to understand that time is fleeting and we are finite. So help us to live in light of eternity. Help us to live in light of your kingdom. That's a great prayer for us to pray. Again, we are bound by time. This morning, you're probably thinking some different things like, what are we going to have for lunch? Are we going to make it in time? Do we need to set a reservation? Some of you are thinking, do I need to change my fantasy football lineup before 1 o'clock? Like, should I put this person in versus that person? You're thinking through, how are we going to get to life group and make all the things work? Some of you are thinking about what's happening on Monday and are the kids' assignments in? And have you gotten this project taken care of? We are bound by time. Time is constantly pushing in on us. And so we need the help of the Eternal One to help us to see our lives, not in light of our schedule, but in light of eternity. And so there's this great prayer from Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, that says this, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Jesus, who is the word eternal, who sits out of time but enters into it, perfectly lived God's plan for his life. Friends, if you are a Jesus follower, God's plan for your, your life, putting you on this planet, is to live for his glory. And we need God's help in order to do that. Some of the ways that, that we live in this time for God's glory are by reorienting our lives around God's kingdom instead of our kingdom. So when we talk about family discipleship, that's setting time aside not to focus on ourselves but to teach the truths about God. When we go on mission, when we have go moments, when we share the gospel, we're setting aside time around God's kingdom instead of our kingdom. When we lay down the things that matter most for us so that we can bring glory to God, that's living in light of eternity instead of living temporally. We need God's help. So a great prayer to pray this morning is, Lord, teach me the number of my days. Help me to see time the way you do. Help me see life the way that you do. But a second application, and and this is important. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. And this is one that you'll have to kind of just go back and think on and meditate through Scripture. Second point of application is this. Eternal life is a present reality in Jesus. Let me say that again. Eternal life is a present reality in Jesus. Eternal life is not just what is going to happen when we die. We get to go be with Jesus for eternal life. That's part of it, but this is important. Eternal life is a present reality now for the Jesus follower. Because the God who is eternal has come and made himself known to us. And so when we are abiding in Christ, we are actually 
walking in and experiencing a taste of eternity here now in the present. That's a crazy thought to try to get our minds around this morning. Look at verse 4, talking about Jesus. In him was life. Not just making us alive, but true life, eternal life, life found in Christ. And the life was the light of men. So this life is not just us living, but it's the light that illuminates our hearts and minds to understand the truth about who God is. In the New Testament, eternal life is not just about something that's coming when we die. It's a present reality for the Jesus follower. When the eternal one becomes our life, life eternal becomes a part of our experience on this earth as we abide. You might be saying, Paul, I don't know about that. Like, life's pretty tough and pretty hard. I know. I'm not saying it's in fullness yet, but I am saying that when we are walking in God... Through Jesus Christ, we get to experience some of the realities of what eternal life will be now in the present. Let me just give you an example of Jesus talking about this. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has, not will have, not future tense, has presently eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. What does that mean? New creation. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has passed away. And so there is an opportunity for us, for the people of God, to live differently in this life because we don't live for this life anymore. We live for life that's found in Christ. So we see here that Jesus... The Word is the eternal Word. The Word who always was, the Word who always will be, but also the Word who brings life eternal to His people. New life, new creation. Not just future, it is future, but also present. And so for some of this morning, maybe the prayer is this. Lord, would you help me to walk and live in light of eternal life today? As I abide in you and abide in your word, would you help me experience a piece of this eternal life today? Now, let this be a part of my present walking in you, my present reality. Which leads to a second big idea this morning. We see that, secondly, the word is powerful. The word is not always, only always existed, but the word is powerful This means several different things. I just want to give you several kind of realities of how the Word is powerful. The first one is this. Jesus is the Word divine. He is powerful because He is the Word divine. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And this is important. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. Other religions will say that He is like God or He is like an angel, or he is preeminent, but not God. That's not what John is saying here. He's saying Jesus is fully God. He is fully divine. That's a good place to say amen, right? He is fully God. He is fully divine. We don't worship a creature. We don't worship a special person. No, we worship the Son of God. Fully divine. That's good news for us this morning. One of the lies is that Jesus was just a good man, that he was godlike or he was secondary to God. But the truth is this Jesus is fully 
God. So again, just another point of application to us this morning. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And you'd say, I'm not a Jesus follower. I'm still trying to figure these things out. I'm wrestling through this. Here's what I want you to know, friend. Jesus is the only way to God. Not because he has a higher knowledge or a better way, but because he is the only way. He is God. He is the word divine, but not only do we see that he's powerful because he's the word divine, but he's also the word effectual. Jesus is the word effectual. Now, we don't use that word a whole lot. So what are we talking about effectual? It means he brings things into being that are not in being. He brings things into being that do not exist. Effectual means causing action. This is so important. Look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word. Let's pause there for a second. Now when we read John 1, this verse should cause something to go off in our head. John is not using arbitrary language. He's quoting something. Well, what is he quoting? Genesis 1.1. Let's just go to Genesis 1.1. Very back to the beginning of the Bible. Very first chapter, very first verse, very first words of the Bible are this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So when John says in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he's calling us back to Genesis 1-1, calling us back to the original creation, saying Jesus was present, Jesus was there, but not only was Jesus there, Jesus was the means by which God created the heavens and earth. That the Son, it's through the Son, you can read through Colossians 1, all things were made by him and for him and exist for him. This is meant to do two things. One, establish that new creation is taking place, that Jesus' arrival on the scene has begun something new. We talked about that a minute ago. But second, to call us back to the original creation account. Well, why is that important? Hang with me for a minute. This is important because when God created the world, God spoke and it was. Think about that for a minute. God didn't take molecules and atoms and particles and put them all together no he spoke into nothingness and light began the theological word this is ex nihilo out of nothing god created i don't know how many of you uh again christmas time's coming anybody in here like like legos any of you kids like legos legos for christmas that kind of thing okay so we we love legos around our house do not love stepping on legos like those things were made by the devil you know and someone designed them with to torture parents but every year we we have legos in our house and last year there was this star wars atst walker that a couple of our boys got and so it's multiple bags of legos hundreds of pieces and i wish i could have just spoken on christmas morning and suddenly an atst lego walker would be present but that's not the way it worked there's all these bags and i wish i could tear the bags open throw them on the floor and speak and they would all come together but when I do that, they're just all lost in a mess and they go into the black void that you can never find the pieces again, right? If you're a parent, you understand that. This is so important. 
humans create. We create. Some of you are incredibly creative. Humans actually create things that have never existed before. New technologies and new structures. But this is important. We cannot create out of something that does not exist. Every time a human being has ever made something, they've made it out of something else. That's not the way God creates. God creates out of nothing. God speaks and then it is. Or another way of saying it, and this is really important, God does not just create out of nothing. This is important. God produces what is not. There is nothing and there is something. And he does it by the active word of his voice. So what does it mean that Jesus is the word effective or effectual? This is what it means. Jesus is God's very word in action, bringing into being what is currently not in being. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Say, okay, Paul, what does that mean practically? Let's get really practical and really personal. Jesus produces life where there is death. Luke 8, a guy named Jairus, his daughter dies. And Jesus shows up into the story and Jesus calls the little girl who is in death to life. Where there is death, Jesus speaks life. Jesus produces wholeness where there's brokenness. John chapter 8, there's this woman caught in adultery who's sinned. And Jesus speaks these words over her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Where there's brokenness, he produces wholeness. Where there's life or death, he produces life. Jesus produces faith where there is doubt. There's another account where there's a father and his son has a demon. He says, Jesus, help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus produces faith where there is doubt. Jesus, the word, is effectual. That means he produces within men and women what does not exist. That's good news this morning. Where there is sin, where there is brokenness, where there is death, where there is guilt, where there is shame, Jesus produces life. And just like God spoke through the sun, and where there was no light, light existed. God speaks into our hearts, our dead, cold hearts, and produces life and faith in Him. That's good news. He's the word effectual. He brings to life those who are dead in their sin, but He also causes us and helps us live in light of God the Father. So let me give you a couple points of application for us this morning. So this morning, if you're a Jesus follower, this is really important. Abiding is Jesus' work in us that we respond to by faith and obedience. So here's a question. We talk about abiding in Jesus, abide in Christ. It's one of our core practices. Who abides, you or Jesus? Who does the abiding? And the answer is shepherds. That's a good guess. The answer is both, right? But who starts the work of abiding? Jesus does. He is the vine. 
We are the branches. The branches do not start on their own. The vine is where the branches flow out of. In John, John's epistle in 1 John, it says, I abide in you and you abide in me. Abiding begins with Jesus. He starts that work. He produces life where there is no life. But then we respond by faith and obedience. That is our response of abiding back. Here's why it's important, Christian. You cannot make yourself a holy, faithful Christian. Only Jesus can. But here's the good news. He does that work. If you are his child, he is doing that work. He is producing that work in you, and our response is obedience and faith. That is good news. Everything we are called to become, Jesus, the abiding word, will do in us as we abide in him. I don't know if your mind's blown, but mine's a little bit blown this morning. This is incredible. Second application point is this, and this is really practical. Abiding in Jesus, the word, is impossible from abiding in God's word. Can I just say that again? Abiding in Jesus, the word, is impossible apart from abiding in God's word. Kind of get in our business just a little bit more. If you and I are not loving God's word, then we truly aren't loving Jesus, who is the word. And there's a temptation for you and for me to say, oh, I love Jesus, but I haven't had time this week. Can we just be real for a moment? We're not loving Jesus when we don't love his word, the way he speaks to us. You might say, I don't know how. I don't know how to get in the Word. I don't know how to have an abiding relationship with Jesus the way you're talking. We would love to help you. Again, life groups are a great way for that to happen. Study groups. Grab a friend. Grab someone in our church. We would love to be in the Word with you. But abiding in Jesus, the Word, is impossible apart from God's Word. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 31. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my Word, listen to this, You truly are my disciples. The one who abides in my word truly is my disciple. It's the word abiding in you. So Jesus is the word divine. Jesus is the word effectual. Third, Jesus is the word of truth. He is the word of truth. I wish I had so much more time to unpack this, but just we'll hit the highlights. Look again at verse 4 through 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So there's going to be throughout John's gospel this contrast between light and darkness, which goes back to Genesis 1. What happened in Genesis 1? There was no light. It was form. It was empty. It was void. And then God speaks light, and there is light. And light represents, in the New Testament, it represents truth. The truth of God's word that shines into the darkness. And look at what it says in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Cannot, will not, has not. The light of God's truth overcomes the lies of the enemy. But just where there is light, there is darkness. Look at verse 9. The true light. So that means there are false lights. There are things that would 
take our focus. There are lies, things that would take our gaze off of Jesus Christ. We want to look at the true light. Jesus is the word of truth. He is the true light. And if we have any confusion that he is the truth, verse 14 clears it up. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and what? Truth. He is the word of truth, the light of truth that shines into the darkness of lies that we believe. Have you ever believed a lie? Anybody in here, have you ever believed a lie? I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, so I believe a lie every year, that they are going to have a good year and go to the Super Bowl. We believe lies. How many of you have ever been told a lie, you don't have to raise your hand, that's caused you a lot of pain? Someone made a commitment to you. Someone told you that they would be there for you. We all have. We've all been told lies. Third question. Have you ever told yourself a lie? Yeah. We, we do that all the time. My problems are out there. If my circumstances would change, then everything would be okay. If they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that way. Friends, again, I wish we had so much time. We struggle with the truth. We believe lies all the time. Our culture tells us lies about what is truth and what is not truth. And what is true to you must be true to you. And you need to be true to yourself. Those are lies. The enemy tells us lies. He is the father of lies. He began the story in Genesis 3 by giving lies. But not only does our culture tell us lies, not only does the enemy tell us lies, friends, look at me for a minute. We lie to ourselves. We are prone to self-deception. We create narratives about why we've been wronged and why it's not our fault and why things can never change and why it can never add up and why all these things are true instead of going to the one who is truth. To the word of truth. But the good news this morning is that Jesus is the word of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 31 through 32. We started this a few minutes ago. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Friends, this morning, I, I would beg you to take some time before the Lord if you're a Christian and just ask God, where and how am I believing lies? About my job, about my family, about my identity. Maybe this is a lie that came from the enemy. Maybe this is a lie that came from a person. Maybe this is a lie from the culture. Maybe it's a lie that came from within. But how are we not walking and believing the truth? And I'm just convinced that there's a lot of people in this room because I know me who are struggling to not live by lies. There's prison, there's weight in your soul and in your mind. And this morning, the only thing that can set you free is the truth. The good news is that Jesus is the word of truth. Turn to Jesus, the one who is full of grace and truth. 
He is the light that the darkness, verse 5, cannot overcome. And really practically, are we a people who are filling our minds with truth? Like the way we know the truth is not by looking within. The way we know the truth is by looking at the Word. Jesus, the Word, God's Word. Which leads to our last big idea this morning, which will take us into the Lord's Supper. The Word of God. The Word is God in the flesh. The Word is God in the flesh. Meaning this, Jesus is the Word in person. He is the Word in person. He is God in flesh. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. We said this at the beginning. God's self-expression in the Old Testament was always through His spoken Word. In creation, God speaks and what was not is. He speaks in Revelation. He tells his people about himself. Be holy for I am holy. God speaks through Moses. He speaks through the prophets. God also speaks through deliverance. He rescues his people by speaking. Let my people go, he says through Moses to Pharaoh. God's self-expression has always been to his people through his words. But this is important. Now John is telling us that God's active word has entered the story as a person. God is speaking in the flesh. God is speaking through his son, Jesus. Jesus was not only present at creation, he's the instrument of creation. Jesus is not only the revelation of God, but he is God in the flesh. Jesus not only brings about deliverance for those in bondage, but he pays redemption's price with his own life. This is why the author of Hebrews begins his letter by saying this, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the word in flesh. And the word became flesh, put on meat, put on skin and bone. He dwelt among us, meaning he set up his tent, he set up his home with us. And we have seen his glory. What does that mean? How is Jesus' glory revealed to us? Not through the miracles, not through the feeding of 5,000, not through his teaching. How's glory, God's glory, Jesus' glory revealed through us? Through the cross. The Son of God dying, shedding his blood so that you and I might be saved. The invitation this morning is this, to turn from trusting in self, to turn to Jesus, who is the Word. And we get to experience that this morning through the Lord's Supper. And so before we take of the elements, I just want to invite you to bow your heads where you are to close your eyes. This is your opportunity to respond and prepare to take of the elements. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just God's Word tells us that we are to examine our hearts before taking the bread and taking the cup. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there anything hiding in the dark that God, who is the light, 
who is the truth knows, but you've chosen not to confess, to repent of. This is an opportunity in your seat to repent, to confess. Maybe this morning what needs to be confessed is you've just not been seeking the word. Not been living for the word. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but that's not really captured your heart. Maybe that's your response this morning. For some of you, maybe one of the lies that you've been believing is that you can't forgive that person for what they've done to you. The hurt's far too deep. The trail's far too far. here to tell you this morning that's a lie from the enemy. That the God who became flesh, the word, forgave you. And if he can forgive you, you can forgive anyone and everyone. It's an opportunity to do that before taking the elements. Maybe for some this morning you've believed that God is real. You believe that Jesus is God, but you've never given your life to him. You've never turned from your sin. You've never trusted in him as your savior. This is the opportunity to do that this morning. I'll just give you a moment in silence just to respond, just to prepare your heart for what we're about to do. my brothers and sisters this morning pray for us as we come now remembering your death your body which was torn apart on that cross your bloody your blood that was shed for us so that we might be made new that we might be made clean we might be brought to life we thank you for that we remember you this morning help us to live in light of your shed blood us. Help us to be a people who turn from sin and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.